So, uh, we're doing something a little bit different tonight, uh, doing a live recording for YouTube. Uh, still have the general framework of the podcast that so we'll obviously operate uh, within. So, as always, we'll thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product improvement on uh, just about damn near anything that hits your plate. And the good people at Tarpon Sellers. We've said this before, but it's a great reminder. Uh, you know, one, you're buying <clears throat> directly from an American entity, and there's no... Uh, Broader shipping delays, you'll be able to get it immediately. Great wine, uh, holiday gifts are something that you'll uh, need, whether it be visiting family for Thanksgiving or seeing people over uh, over the final holiday season. Uh, TarpenSellers.com, coupon code NOLCAST, 20% off. Thank you to, for them, uh, for the support that they have given to the NOLCAST. And uh, with that, bud, let's jump into this uh, live stream here. Let's do it, man. So I obviously, FSU did not play a game over the weekend, uh, but I had an idea. Maybe we'll, we'll see how this goes, and we'll see if we get any kind of uh, kind of listener comments on this. I, I just uh, just now tweeted it out. Um, I kind of want to talk about the upcoming stretch here. Uh, I don't really want to talk about UMass a whole lot because you and I still have to cobble together a preview for UMass uh, in the coming weeks. So possibly, uh, well, not the coming weeks, the coming days. FSU is a thirty-seven point favorite. Over UMass, UMass is is pretty damn bad. Uh, so there is that. Let's go ahead and talk about some of these other games, though. I know you watched a ton of college football over the weekend, as did I. And, man, we actually have some interesting data points to go over here, both visually and then also literally uh, the data. And, you know, one I was interested in was Clemson, because Clemson was coming off of their bye week. They traveled up to Syracuse. And they beat Syracuse, and they beat them 17-14. to 14. Their adjusted scoring margin was 7.3. So, you know, a, a better performance than FSU had against Syracuse, for, for sure. Uh, but I think the more relevant takeaway here, Ingram, is that they were not dominant, right? And the fact that we are continuing to see Clemson win games, deservedly win games, but not dominate games, the more times they do this, the, the less confident I am that they have a, a, a switch that they can flip, right? Maybe they do have that. What? What? I know you watch that. What? What did you think of their performance? Yeah, I mean, maybe they have that, and the and the fear is that you know, for whatever reason, they find that for Florida State, whether it be because of the helmet or whatever else. But um, it's just a struggling, struggling program right now. I mean, there's there's times while you're watching the game, you're like, wait. Wait, I'm sorry. That kid is starting for Clemson right now. I mean, it, it, there's some some pretty decent deviations from from previous from previous talent. And then at the same time, you'll see a six foot four wide receiver flash and make a you know ridiculous catch. And you're reminded that yeah, they still do have a you know part of that roster is some of the more highly touted kids in the country. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting dichotomy. They certainly have some holes that are. Uh, there, whether it be because of their, you know, not wanting to uh, use the portal or whatever else, the roster's a roster. And at this point, kind of what you said, we're halfway through the season and they are what they are. And they're, you know, not nearly the dominant force that they have in the past couple of years. And that was me fighting off a uh, sneeze for about 10 seconds there. So, uh, excuse me. But yeah, uh, good team, but uh, not anything better than just kind of a solidly decent team with some really nice pieces on the roster, in my opinion. You know, it, it's it's an interesting squad. As of yet, they have 
they have, for the most part, not decided to run DJU a whole lot. But he did get nine carries in this game against Syracuse. So I do think as the year evolves, Clemson may just decide to go ahead and run him more. They do have a difficult home stretch of games, obviously. Uh, but they also have some difficult games in their in their rear view with uh, with Georgia and NC State you know, being gone. Kobe Pace got 14 carries for them in this game for 76 yards. Uh, success rate of 64%. So they actually did run the ball, uh, I would say, with some consistency against Syracuse, but not with much explosion. And that has been a real issue for the Clemson Tigers this year. They are not uh, an offense that is finding explosive plays. They're really not finding explosive plays in the passing game. They're actually 125th in passing explosiveness on the year, which is crazy because they're almost always in, in pr- prior years. Even last year when DJ was in, uh, good for a couple bombs a game. And this year, they're just not finding that passing uh, explosiveness at all. In the run game, it's it's a similar story. They're, they're not finding ways to hit the big runs. Uh, from an FSU perspective, I, I think this is somewhat encouraging. FSU has statistically not been a great red zone defense at times this year. Uh, but I do continue to believe that FSU probably uh, has the capability of being a better red zone defense than it has otherwise been, just because of the size they have up front. You know, Jermaine Johnson's not small. Keir Thomas is not tiny. They have good size at the tackle spots. Their linebackers are nothing if not big. And they have some decent size in the secondary. And we know size is a little more important down there in the compressed area. Uh, if Clemson is not able to hit explosive plays, that definitely plays into your hands uh, for, for this FSU team, I think. Now, on the other side of things, Clemson's defense remains just totally elite. I have them as the third best defense in the country right now. Uh, now, I had to adjust that down a little bit because they are missing Brian Brzee and Davis, and I don't think they'll get either of those guys back before this game. They're also missing some other guys as well. I know one of their corners, uh, I believe, was out for the, for the Syracuse game. So maybe they're not a true you know, top three type defense for this game. Uh, but Ultimately, this is still going to be the best defense FSU has faced all year, and probably by a whole lot. You know, Xavier Thomas is still definitely a force for them. They still have Skalski, who's an excellent college player. You know, uh, Andrew Booth is, you know, pretty damn good corner. They still have Miles Murphy, um, KJ Henry emerging a little bit. Williams is, is a good player for them. I, they have a lot of guys on defense. So, well. I actually have some confidence that this may just be what the Clemson offense is this year and that FSU's defense may uh, be able to handle it. We will see. Um, FSU's defense has looked better in recent weeks, but also it still has those other games this year where they've just been torn up. And I'm I'm not to a point yet where I can trust them to say they're going to go out and put out good performances, right? I still don't think it's a good defense. It improved in recent weeks, I think is fair to say, but they also... You know, one of those recent weeks is, of course, the Syracuse. My thing here is, will you have a shot to win this game? I think it's possible that you will. But, the, but how do you get points? Nobody's really scored on these guys. Georgia didn't put up an offensive touchdown, as we know. Georgia Tech scored eight. NC State scored 27, and it took overtime. Uh, Boston College scored 13. Syracuse scored 14. You know, what, what number b- beats Clemson? In Clemson, it probably starts with two. Like, do you 
maybe a three. Mm-hmm. I think it's like tw- I think if you win this game, you win at twenty four twenty one or something like that. Um, it will be interesting. They still have some really nice pieces on defense. Uh, Thomas has developed into the you know player not not maybe exactly what people thought he'd be out of high school, but he's certainly having an all conference year and has turned into a solid contributor uh, for him. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's this is not a podcast that's based around you know soft factors or uh, loose things. It, it just feels as though Clemson kind of sits around and, to an extent, almost is expecting bad things to happen. Whereas the past four or five years, obviously, has been uh, you know 180 degrees from that. So uh, maybe you catch them <clears throat> in their building with a fan base that's a little bit nervous, and and you just happen to have a a fortunate day where you know you pick up seven points either on a scoop and score or a drop pun or something like that. I mean, I think you have to maybe get lucky with a long play from Jordan, hit a run, get somewhat of a special team slash fluke, uh, fluke touchdown and try to get out of there with, you know, 21, 24 points or something like that and hope that you can relatively contain them throughout the day. Uh, obviously, we've got a lot of time to talk about that, but, you know, Clemson's been a uh, one of the better teams in all college football. So uh, despite the fact that they haven't lit the world on fire, it's always going to be something that you judge yourself by. And uh, I do think for the first time in a long time, and it's not just kind of coaching staff, uh, uh, bizarre, unwarranted optimism that you can go into this game, go up to South Carolina and expect your team to put at least a, a pretty respectable performance on the field. I agree. All right. So the next game on the schedule, uh, look, I, I'm not counting Clemson as a win. Certainly you'll almost, yeah, you'll be a double-digit dog in that game, but I, I don't think it's going to be 20. This isn't like, nah, nah, I told you so, or whatever else, or prisoner of the moment, but I I do think you got a better chance of beating Clemson than NC State. And, and maybe that's just because of what they did to Boston College this weekend or whatever else. But I, I think from a from watching them all the more, I, I think from a personnel standpoint, that that's a, that's a game you've got a, a chance to maybe go in and steal. Obviously, you're talking about one game on the road and, and one game at home, but um, I'd I've continued to be concerned about how you you find any kind of realistic path to victory if if NC State shows up and is at all focused and and wants to play. So I, I think part of that point there too is NC State is less likely to just give you the game. You know what I mean? Um, so potentially there's Clemson could implode given all all of the turnover they have on offense. In fact, they're still kind of searching for who they are. Uh, let's go ahead and shift then to NC State. That is the next team on FSU's schedule here uh, as they come down the home stretch. Let me make sure I got all my tabs open. Uh, I, I went back and watched uh, all the key plays in, in this game. NC State goes on the road and beats Boston College 33-7. to uh, A couple of important things here. Number one, uh, I have been a pretty big Devin Leary fan, and overall he's played well this year. 67% completions. 15 to 2 touchdown interception ratio. As I mentioned, they seem unlikely to just throw you the ball game. Uh, 7.7 adjusted net yards per attempt. Uh, is not sacked all that often. NC State's a good football team, right? Uh, you know, we'll see if they can play like an elite football team. They have definitely had some games this year where they kind of laid stinkers, right? They came out, they played terrible against Mississippi State and did not deserve to win that. Clemson, they got the dub. It was an overtime at home, and they squandered a number of chances in that game. And then, honestly, they they played pretty poorly against Louisiana Tech in, in what was an obvious hangover game for them. 
there this is kind of a tough team to evaluate, but I do think it's a, a at least a good team. I think it's probably one of the 20 best teams in the country. They're, they're very physical up front. They have a good quarterback. They have some guys you know, who, who make plays for them at the receiver position. And yet, I, I watched this game, and, and I looked at it, man, and I'm like, damn, the most important plays in this game were sort of flukish, right? I mean, it was a fairly close game. I think it was 7-7 when, uh, when Boston College fumbled the punt and NC State took it back for a touchdown. Like that, uh, we, we've talked about this, what, 12 years now? Returning fumbled punts, not a repeatable skill, not something that you can r- normally rely on. Next most important play in this game is the 40-yard touchdown pass. And in this one, this was kind of crazy, but it's an interception, or should be, and two Boston College defenders literally hit each other, and the ball falls right in, into Devin Carter's hands, and he runs 40 yards for it. I mean, those are, are if you look at kind of the, the win probability, you know, the, the chart, right? Like, like, where does it spike the most? It's those two plays. And so in looking at that, I'm like, okay, you know, that's, uh, that's not great. And they also had a 79-yard touchdown to Thayer Thomas, their, their slot receiver. You know, here's the other thing. Even take out those two plays, this was not a bad effort for Boston College. I mean, Devin Leary, 15 of 22 for 244. Okay, you take out those two, that's about 100 yards off-ish, maybe 115 off. So then he's 20 for 105. So maybe they weren't super consistent throwing the football uh, through the air. But still, I think it's you know, it's, it's worth noting that they were you know, somewhat successful there doing that. Uh, I thought NC State ran the ball okay. Uh, their big thing in this game, though, was the expo- explosive play compared to Boston College. We say that like it's something that's not repeatable. And to some extent, it's not. But FSU gives up explosive plays on defense all the time uh, this year. Uh, and that's not something that is really good. Well, of course, against UNC, they did not give up you know, quite as many. This is going to be a tough game. You will be a home underdog, I believe, to Boston College, or excuse me, to, to NC State. But it's not an unwinnable game. It's just not, I just don't love the matchup. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that Thayer Thomas, the, the, their slot receiver, is somebody who will probably eat FSU safeties and linebackers alive, you know? But last week, FSU had a relatively good plan for, for Josh Downs. And I expected him to do a nice job against FSU's safeties and backers over the center of the field. And FSU actually neutralized him. The difference being, I think, NC State's outside receivers are far better than what UNC presents. And if you load up in single coverage on the outside, uh, I think NC State is more likely to win those matchups there. So this will probably be a tough game, but it's not an unwinnable game if you play really well and if they don't play their best game. Agree. Uh, not unwinnable, but uh, certainly agree with you that I have matchup concerns there. And at least from this individual podcaster's perspective, I think you're more likely to go and win on the road at Clemson, as uh, bizarre as that sounds, rather than beat NC State at home. But uh, hopefully you can get one of those two. Obviously, not anything that uh, you know we're expecting from a win expectation at this point as we kind of evaluate the back half of the, the schedule. Uh, it would do wonders for your recruiting. It would do wonders to put a shot into your arm and maybe give you a little bit of atmosphere and excitement for that Miami game, uh, which we can kind of organically get to that conversation here in a second. To me, feels, and I don't want to overreact on things uh, from a recruiting standpoint, that you you need uh, these 
these have been nice the last two weeks, and you'll probably win this weekend. Uh, but it you need a little bit of a statement at some point in time uh, to try to really plant your your spear in the ground and and keep this class together. Again, maybe I'm overreacting to some things that have taken place, and you're in this really bizarre situation where one kid is going to dictate uh, both probably your ability to keep the class together to maybe go out and get some of these fringe guys that we've talked about that are still out there. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe even the ultimate fate of your coaching staff, if you want to be uh, wildly, <laughs> wildly, uh, you know, make a single individual's recruitment, all that powerful, but it is a bizarre situation that you found yourself in. And uh, one of those games would, would certainly seem like it would go a long way in providing a, a, a powerful example of a trajectory of a program that just could never find their feet over the first four games of the season. You know, I, I do think there's a narrative you can sell too. And it's one that I would sell if I was on the staff and it's basically, Hey, look, we, we had a tough start to the season. We played hard. Uh, last year was a COVID year. It really took us some time to figure out what we had in this team. And that narrative only works if you continue to play well. Right. And you can sell, Hey, look, obviously guys, we had a bad start. We, we started out 0 and four. I'm sure all the kids you're recruiting have, have been on a team that started out poorly before and then got better and hung tough and blah, 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 and showed momentum and progress throughout the rest of the season, et cetera. Uh, last show, we did talk about how LSU was probably going to fire Ed Orgeron at some point. Uh, thought it was basically a certainty and how that could help FSU in recruiting. Uh, we talked about Kendrick Law, uh, Julian Armella, uh, who, again, you know, I think his options were more limited than people think out there. Uh, and then also, uh, Demario Tolan, uh, who I know got a visit from FSU recently and is open to visiting. So that's basically all I have on that. I, I don't think they're going to they're gonna land the big tackle who's currently committed to LSU. I do expect LSU to go out and make a, a pretty big splash hire that is uh, consistent with the track record there of Scott Woodward. But I know we had some comments here in the live chat section about, uh, about LSU. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube, really appreciate that. Of course, uh, best way to get us questions is patreon.com slash nocast. We always look at those first. Don't have a whole lot this week, but then again, we weren't really sure how many shows we were going to do. Uh, do you want to go ahead and tackle the next team on the list, or should we talk about a team that is super reliable? Let's let's hold over Miami <laughs> for the break, and while I tell you about the legendary team, guys, Chad, Chad and Shannon are just absolutely incredible. They just keep sending us more emails about loans they've closed, and we just keep sending out more and more shirts, and customers are super happy. I know we had somebody in the DM tonight asking if they do commercial loans, uh, which I believe they, they do know a guy for that. So yeah, that, that is our ad transition for the night. I know people are, are laughing in the live comments. Look, I, I've used them twice. I, I could not be happier with my experience with Legendary Team. It's great rates. I get all these you know people mailing me, Hey, uh, we can we, we can beat their rate and all that stuff. And I just chuckle like, mm, I don't know. Like, they're the sponsor of my show, and I got the rate locked in for my refi at an incredible time. So probably not. I'm just thinking there there may be some some hidden fees at, at, attached. And uh, yeah, anyway, uh, Shannon and I chuckle about that one. Give a call eight four four FSU loan, and I know they want me to get back to talking about Miami. Which went up there to Chapel Hill and put on a better performance than I thought they were going to put on, to be frank. Like I, I lost a little bit of money live betting that game because I thought Miami would quit. 
I actually thought the Van Dyke kid was okay when, when he played against Virginia. He kind of you know, settled in and played a little bit better. And he went up there, and it got down pretty big to UNC. And I was like, all right, this is probably it. And damn, they didn't come back and make that a real game, man. Now, part of that is a reflection on North Carolina having some serious structural problems with their team this year. Uh, ones that I did not see coming in the preseason. Are you are you surprised that, as I am that, that Miami did not roll over and quit? Uh, yeah, I, I am to an extent. I also think that it almost you know provided a more painful ending uh, to that game. I mean, the the picture of, of Manny Diaz post game uh, in the corner of the stadium, just kind of sitting there looking like the most broken of broken men, uh, trying to figure out you know what the hell is happening, why they continually. Uh, find or cannot find an ability to turn any of these kind of close games into a victory. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know what Miami can do f- from a buyout perspective, but I don't need Miami just losing every game from here on out. Also, it would be nice if the Florida state Miami game had, you know, even a passing interest in it for recruiting purposes. Uh, but that certainly seems like a staff that is uh, kind of in a downward spiral that, I'd be shocked if they could get out of at this point. And, and it may be that they stay there uh, for another year. And that would be great from a Florida State perspective. But that's, uh, you know, and I'm sure people from the outside have said the same thing about what transpired in Florida State first couple games this year. But that that feels like a situation that uh, there's just a bunch of dead air in the program. The recruiting class is, is all but non-existent. They lost uh, what appeared to me, and you can chime in if I'm incorrect here, the best piece of their recruiting class a week ago who, what, 36 hours ago pledged to, to Alabama. Uh, it's just been a been a tough time to be a Miami Hurricane fan. It's really broken my heart. I, I will say that I am liking this matchup for FSU uh, more and more as I watch this Miami team. So Tyler Van Dyke did not play that poorly. He did throw three picks, so that's that's never good. He does have a proclivity to, to throw. Proclivity or propensity? Probably propensity here. I wonder if proclivity could work, but Propensity to throw some interceptions for sure. You know, 45 attempts for 278, success rate of 33%. So ultimately, not very good. However, Miami on the ground, uh, he ran very well, 67% success rate with him running. I did not know that he had that kind of wheels. I think part of it's just North Carolina maybe didn't, didn't respect his legs uh, either. Cam Harris got hurt, so he's out for the year. Uh, Jalen Knighton goes 17 carries for 94 yards, which doesn't sound like that great, but 53% success rate, which is really pretty solid. He popped him on that that long pass play as well. Knighton, you know, you can see what you saw as a recruit there. Uh, impressive player. Yeah. I mean, he's explosive, but he's also showing me the ability to like run between the tackles and, and be physical and tough. Like I, I, I remember the long run from watching the game live, and I went back and looked at the stuff. It's like, damn. He had a 53% success rate running the ball in this game. Like that's means those other runs, that's pretty good. You know, that eight of the eight of the remaining 16 were were successes. Now, an issue here is Miami is really struggling to throw the football. Uh, they had D. Wiggins and Mark Pope uh, elect to transfer out of the program today. That's not really a surprise if you listen to uh, our Miami Hurricanes podcast through the smoke. I know that that group of players was speculated to be leaving. Uh, last week, and I think David and Gabby do just an absolute great job on that show. Like they're not afraid to pick against Miami or pick Miami to lose by twenty if they feel like that's what's going to happen. They're they're not homering it up over there on their show. 
Um, I mean, shout out to all the great shows in our 24-7 Sports Network, by the way. On the Bench does a great job. You know, I, I think the Swamp 247 podcast has been exceptionally honest recently about Florida. We'll, we'll hit on those guys in just a minute. Um, but you know, they're not getting a whole lot out of, out of tight end Will Mallory right now. Uh, Charleston Rambo remains their best receiving threat. They don't have a whole lot of just regular dropback concepts. This is an offense that operates primarily off play action. It needs to go tempo. It needs to be able to at least have the threat of the run. Uh, Xavier Restrepo is is playing better for them, but they're just not getting it done at the receiver position. And you know, offensively, I look at this team and I say, okay, this is a team that wants to go fast, and what they do well right now is run the ball. Ingram, there's not a whole lot this FSU team we cover does very well, man. But one thing they do do fairly okay is run defense. You know, like they, they'll set an edge, they'll get into the backfield, they'll tackle often. I mean, like I said, they're a great tackling team, but they're not like, that's probably the best thing this team does defensively. It certainly is not pass defense, right? So if Miami comes into dope, and they cannot throw the ball better than they are currently throwing the football, I think you actually have to like FSU's chances of winning here. Uh, maybe not winning big, but if the crowd actually shows up for this game and they're able to, to make an impact, you, you can have something there. Because they really, in their post-game win expectancies this year from Connolly, 0% against Alabama. No shame in that. A lot of folks do that. You know, 47% against App. App's probably going to win their league, or, well, may win their league. shouldn't say probably. And 13% against Michigan State just didn't show up in that game. Central Connecticut, whatever, 23% against UVA, 40% at North Carolina. You know, they got NC State this weekend. We'll see there. I, I did bet NC State on the opener. Then they go at Pitt. Then they go Georgia Tech. And then they're at FSU. No bye weeks left in there. I, granted, FSU has a very difficult schedule before it plays Miami, too. So both these teams have a, I would say, higher than average probability of coming in pretty banged up. But man, the way they're playing right now is not conducive to beating this FSU team soundly. Like Miami Miami may be favored in this game. I'm not convinced that they will be at this point, but they might be favored. We'll, we'll see how the next couple of weeks play out. On the flip side, they didn't handle a running quarterback very well. Sam Howell tore them up. 75% success rate on runs for Howell. 12 carries for 122. Ty Chandler at 18 for 108. They did a pretty good job on, on DJ Jones, who is you know the, the other back for Carolina. They did a very nice job, much like FSU did, against the North Carolina passing game. In all honesty, this Miami run defense has been poor for much of the year. you know, And it, it's not really getting much better. Their run defense is a hell of a lot better than their pass defense. And Right now, if, if the offensive line remains healthy or healthy-ish and Jordan Travis remains healthy, FSU's sitting there thinking, ooh, uh, Miami, 107th in rushing explosiveness defense, you say. Is that? Kenny Dillingham's like, Pat, what's passing? I, <laughs> what, I, don't, I don't need no passing. No reason to <laughs> put the ball in the air? No, not at <laughs> <Yeah>. all. <laughs> they're they're going to go like full Air Force, or well, Army on these dudes, I, I would think right now, right? Like that's the thing. FSU is a team that wants to stop the run, and it wants to run the ball. And if it has to throw the ball, it's like uh, we're probably losing the game. Against Miami, you may not have to throw the ball all that much if Jordan comes into that game healthy. 
That's a winnable game if he's healthy. Uh, I don't know that it makes a winnable game, but uh, goodness gracious, maybe Kenny Dillingham was thinking about certain run packages and looks that he could get about against the University of Florida at the end of the season as well. I mean, who knew that a counter could <laughs> be ever so deadly? I mean, that reminded me of kind of a you know a NCAA football around 2011 or something like that, where you could just continually put the rock in a kid's hand and see him run for 300 yards out of fun. I mean, that was a, that's crazy, man. And I, I mean, I, again, this is not a, Oh, I told you so to our listeners or anything else, but yeah, Florida's just felt like a strange program to me for a while. And I mentioned it during the win expectations and everything else. And uh, you got a quarterback coming out who, after he gets more consistent playing time than I think he has all year, talks about the fact that he's a Florida Gator for now. Uh, it's just a, that's a, a strange spot uh, in Gainesville. They and, keep jerking them around. Yeah, uh, they do. They do. And, you know, maybe maybe you can somehow stumble into a victory uh, from a game that would have been real hard to predict. Again, I'm not saying that's going to happen or anything else, but uh, Florida just feels in a strange place right now, and we'll have to reassess you know, six weeks from now, see if that's still the case. But uh, who knows? Maybe you go in there, you have a team that really wants to play, against a team that's not really interested, uh, you know, college football here in the back half of October and November is starting to get a real hard sport to predict what's going to happen with with opt-outs and kind of waning levels of focus throughout the roster and probably a portal season this year that'll be more wild than anything we could have ever dreamed of, in my opinion. Uh, maybe you can somehow sneak, a, sneak at least a competitive game. Maybe you can even beat Florida. Uh, but again, it's a long way from now and uh, still a matchup that there's some significant concerning aspects when you look at it. All right. So, um, by the way, I, I do want to give credit here to commenter JD in the live chat who noted that Sam Howell ran for 108 against FSU. He did. That, that, is, that is true. Um, but FSU pretty effectively shut down North Carolina's backs, especially uh, when the game was more you know, in, in the balance, I would say. Uh, Hal does have some good wheels this year. I think he's lost some weight. I have some bad news, or at least some news where, where my eyes are disagreeing with, with, with what my numbers tell me, right, on Florida. I do think Miami is legitimately in like a quality of play downturn on the field. They just seem to get worse every week somehow, despite the fact they battled hard against UNC. Florida, though, um, here are their post-game win expectancies on the year. You're going to notice a trend when I get done with this, unless you already listened to Cover 3 today, and then, you know, uh, you've already heard this. FAU, 100%. USF, 100%. Alabama, 58%. Tennessee, 96%. Kentucky, 63%. Vandy, 100%. LSU, 51 Florida is one of only five teams to have a greater than 50% win expectancy in all the games they've played so far. That's kind of crazy, and it suggests to me that Florida, if they can kind of get a couple things right, is not that far away from being really freaking good. And maybe one of those things is Richardson playing consistently over Emory Jones. I know Mullen probably wanted to use both against Georgia, you know, because Richardson is is limited as far as some of the packages he knows and all that kind of stuff. Uh, although I think he's a much better player than Emory Jones is. However, I will note like. The magnitude of some of these Florida mistakes and how they impact the game have been really, you know, really important, right? 37-yard pick six, 
you know, just just huge, huge interceptions thrown in that game. And Florida still scored 42 points despite despite turning the ball over, what, five times? It's hard to score 42 points and have five turnovers, but they they managed to do that, right? Um, I don't think that Florida right now is a super winnable game in the swamp unless Florida really starts to implode. Uh, they can throw the ball well enough, especially with Richardson, to where they are not so one-dimensional that allows this this type of defense to tee off on them. Um, their run defense is not great, right? But they do a couple things fairly well, even in the run defense side. So the one thing they do pretty well there is that they actually they don't allow explosive runs for the most part. They're actually 16th in the country in preventing explosive runs. And they've played some teams that can really create explosive runs. You know, we talk about, hey, Florida's run defense sucks. And against LSU, it did suck. They were really, really pretty bad against LSU. Um, you know, taking a look here. Ooh, gosh. So uh, Davis Price had a 53% success rate on them. And Josh Williams had a 50% success rate. So more than half of the LSU's runs were successful. Now, that's not like a 90% success rate. LSU did pop some big runs in this game. But Kentucky also runs the hell out of the ball, right? And as a run game, I think objectively is much better than what LSU's is normally. And Florida shut down Kentucky's run game. Florida did a decent job against Alabama's run game. Tennessee at times this year has run it okay, and they were not able to run the ball at all on Florida. So until I see more, if I'm a Florida fan, that that game against LSU is very concerning. But also, since I'm not an emotional Florida fan, I'm like, I don't know. Was that a one-game blip defensively? Because they were fine defensively against Kentucky. They just committed 15 penalties, most of them on offense, and had a, a you know field goal block return for touchdown. That that was a fluky as hell game in Lexington, I thought. But it does make me wonder, like the two of the last three games, they've had some focus issues, right? Didn't seem all that focused against LSU. Certainly, it's hard to commit 15 penalties if you have good focus and good prep against Kentucky. Who knows? Like, there's a decent chance they finish the year with four wins after they play Georgia. And and look pretty good going into 2022. There's also the chance there's some stuff happening that there that I don't know about, right? And maybe that's how FSU wins this game if they're able to. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll reiterate what I said. Don't like the matchup right now. Maybe do like the overall direction that it appears the program's at. We'll have to see. You you bring up a good point as to some of the flukish things that existed during these wins and or excuse during these losses, and uh, you know we'll have to see how they respond and how they respond to playing Georgia and Jacksonville may dictate, uh, you know, the, after that may dictate what the trajectory of the rest of their season looks like. Uh, YouTube commenter Lee Williams, I completely agree with you. Todd Grantham's never been somebody that's been particularly impressive to me and always astonished that he kind of continually finds what are relatively elite uh, defense coordinator jobs. But, you know, that's uh, how the game works sometimes. Any other game from the weekend that you wanted to talk about and how it impacts Florida State's remaining schedule? Yes, actually, Boston College. Now, I noted that there was some flukishness there uh, in the NC State-Boston College game, but I want to go back to that game, and I want to go back to Boston College specifically here because at the time, we made a pretty big deal when Phil Dracovic, the Boston College quarterback, went down with injury, uh, mainly because some scouts I know who sit behind me in the press box. Uh, when I first got credentials for Tomahawk, they sat me like way over to the side of the press box, but that's where the scouts were, right? So I got to know a couple of them who sat behind me. 
And those guys happen to think Phil Dracovic is pretty damn good. Watching it, his numbers suggest that they're right. Now, BC played a pretty poor schedule to start the year, uh, in fairness. And they played Missouri's defense, which is terrible. Colgate and uh, UMass and Temple you know, before he went down. Now, Dracovic had a 14 adjusted net yards per attempt, right? Philip Grissel, or excuse me, Dennis Grissel, the back QB who's now in, FSU's actually played him before, I believe, uh, the year that Odell was the interim coach and they went to the bowl game, if you recall. Mm. Remember the kind of shorter guy who ran around some? I think that's mm. the same mm-hmm. dude. He's still okay. there. Uh, his adjusted net yards per attempt is 5.3. So that is a lot worse than 14. Now, granted, they've played some better teams, but he has a 5-5 to touchdown-interception ratio. Their passing game with Dracovic is just not it's just not getting it done. Um, I don't know what else I can say about this, but they have some playmakers still. Like it's, it's not they don't have anybody who can make plays, but they only scored seven points against NC State. NC State's points on their end were flukish, but Boston College's lack of points were, were really not that flukish. Um, if BC is more one-dimensional, I, I think there's a real chance you can go up there and win that game, even though it's on the road. Their run game uh, was not any good. NC State has a good run defense, certainly. But you know, Pat Garwo has had a nice year for them. 27% success rate against, against NC State. Alex Sinkfield, again, has had some success for them so far this year. Uh-uh. Not against NC State. 29%. 31% success rate as a, as a team passing the ball. Jalen Gill, I mean, they did a Fairly decent job of limiting him to 71 yards on the day. If this BC team does not get better throwing the ball, um, I, I really think this is a winnable game for FSU. Now, the defense has started to improve for them quite a bit. And we'll see like how they look against Louisville and Syracuse and Vatek at, at, at Georgia Tech. But that's a difficult stretch for them too, man. I mean, that's, that's five games they got to play before FSU comes to town. We'll know. because. Georgia Tech likes to try to run the ball and hit explosive plays like FSU does. So does Louisville. You know, Syracuse, same thing. Vatek, who knows what the hell they're trying to do on offense right now. They, they may not even have a coach by the time that game rolls around. But we'll have a better feel for this one as far as just how much BC's defense has improved. But this is a winnable game for you right now. Uh, I will tell you that on the look-ahead stuff, Connolly has this game as BC... Uh, by three and a half. And Connolly's numbers are seeing Dracovic in about half these games, right? Like like the, the data that it's using that's baked in. My data has that backed out because Dracovic's not coming back, at least from what most of the reports say. This is kind of a toss-up to me right now. It, it's a winnable game for you. Yeah, uh, it, it certainly is just be a matter of kind of where you're where your headspace is, hopefully you've gotten some of these games. I think really this is all about uh, a march to five. Maybe something crazy happens and you get to six, but you know, can you get to five and Miami be part of it? And uh, you know, maybe Miami is a is it a game that you're able to win and be able to be you know get straight and have two final year end games where you can you know push the pedal to the metal, so to say. And again, uh, not to be redundant, but be a program that's really trying to build, develop, and fully invested in games when at sometimes others aren't as the, you know, the tail end of a schedule runs out. So, um, yeah, no, you know, there's nothing, 
nothing really left on this schedule except for my personal opinion about NC State that I don't think is going to be fairly contested. Now, I'm not talking about UMass. Florida will beat UMass, but I mean the five you know, remaining games. I think uh, I'm not classifying them as a, a coin flip from a win expectation uh, perspective or anything like that, but you're, I think you have a chance to be in all these games and uh, we'll have to see. Maybe, maybe we're being too overly optimistic uh, based in large part off a of Carolina team. That's got a good amount of Jekyll and Hyde in them uh, as well. So you know, maybe we'll get better perspective and humbled slightly if that's possible for a, a program that's two and four so far and lost uh, in the second week in the manner that they did, but certainly feels like you're sitting here on the back half of the season that you're, Kind of excited to go out and see what this team develops as and and uh, to what level they can compete against some of these you know better-known entities and, and programs that are left on their schedule. What kind of odds would you give me on making a bowl? Um, I'm still in the 15% area or so. I mean, I think we were 5% last week uh, or pre-UNC. Uh, maybe, that's, maybe I should be you know closer to 12 or something like that. But yeah, I, I'm in the you know mid to low teens. I think we're, I think we're similar. I, I actually might be higher on you than making a bowl right now, barely. Um, and it's just because I, I feel like, I don't know. I I don't think, I don't think that Norvell is going to lose this team, like emotionally, effort wise, that type of thing. If it didn't already happen after Jacksonville State, I think they will continue to play hard for them. Um, I think there are teams on the schedule that could just up and quit, or just have really weird stuff happen. You know, and that's, I think you have to account for their potential downside risk in your bowl projections. I, I, I'm probably more at like, I don't know, 18%. So not a huge difference from you. Uh, by the way, to a gamer Cinco, how is Jaden uh, Lars would be look, look for Boston College? I did pull it up. He played 166 snaps. He has uh, a couple of pass breakups, not like a ton of action, but 166 is not bad. He, he is getting some playing time up there. Got a bizarre personal foul called on him this weekend that I'm, I'm not really sure how that transpired. But uh, yeah, he's played he's played all right. Uh, it's been good, you know, good to see him land in a place like that. And hopefully he's taken advantage of being in a place like Boston. Um, let's see. Uh, I thought there was one other question. Let's see. Uh, we got the Dustin Hill. Yeah, I, I expect Dustin Hill to be in this spring. At least that's just what's been relayed to me. Uh, by sources on the coaching staff, that's what they're expecting. So uh, that's what I'm expecting as well. If he comes in, I actually think he's a fairly polished route runner and a guy with with really nice speed. So maybe somebody who gets some serious playing time for you, even though he's a true freshman uh, next fall. All right, bud. Before we go any further, we'll thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity HR has been a fantastic pairing for uh, Bud and myself with our own small, humble little business it's been great for uh, four or five of our listeners now. They paired with a couple of the different brands under the For the Table restaurant group. And we'll always tip our hat to those guys and thank them for their support as well. Uh, but Matt's a great guy, big Noel fan. Love catching up with him a couple weekends ago, getting a chance to meet him, a couple guys on his team. Uh, we'd ask that you reach out to him. You can do so, Knowles at congruityhr.com. Uh, via email or telephone 844-247-4100. Again, congruity. If you're looking to optimize your business, if you're looking for help with payroll, HR, uh, pretty much A to Z options when it comes to uh, what they provide. And uh, again, if you want to reach out to me first as a form of introduction to Matt, 
uh, please feel free to do so as we've had a, a decent amount of people do so already. All right. Um, where do you want to go from here? That's basically the, the end of the remaining schedule. I, I think that they, uh, I don't know, man. Like I, I know we said that, that, uh, that four and eight was probably the most likely after the UNC win, but after watching these games this weekend, they got to stay healthy to get it. But I actually think that, uh, I think five and five and seven might be more likely than four and eight, dude. Not by a ton, but if they stay healthy, it could be. I think if you get to five, you beat Miami. You can write this off as a strange, uh, you know, success. Obviously, we don't need to keep mentioning what happened in week two uh, every five minutes, but that's going to be something that follows you around. Um, if you can somehow stumble onto six, it would be unreal. Uh, it would be really a remarkable response and uh, have a whole hell of a lot of excitement going into the next year. Uh, maybe not fully warranted, but, uh, you know, a whole lot of warrant. And, and what I mean by that, let me, let me clear up as far as what next year's roster is going to be. There's still a lot of holes. Uh, take a look at what the defensive line is going to look like next year. And uh, there's reasons for nice thoughts as far as the general trajectory of the program, but um, you know, you're going to have to do some work uh, as far as what, you know, getting next year into a place where you can be competitive in week two or some of the other stronger uh, things that are going to appear on your, your schedule there. Um, you want to talk recruiting real quickly? Travis Hunter goes to Athens, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Bob decommits have been more or less expected uh, from this podcast for four or five weeks now. And we told you pretty aggressively that that's going to be one of the ones that you'll struggle to hold on to. Uh, and really, I think even if you're sitting here four and two right now, uh, if Georgia gets on, turns the gas on, I don't know that you're not going to lose that kid overall. So uh, maybe you can point your finger at me and say this is crazy homerism or optimism or something like that. But uh, I, I don't know that losing that kid is necessarily reflective of what you've put on tape so far. I, I think you keep him personally. Like, I, I don't know if it's like a slam dunk lock, but I, I, if you're four and two, you think you keep him? You mean four and eight? No, no I'm saying if you're right oh. now, if you're four and two, does Bob decommit and commit to Georgia this week? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that was more about, more about Georgia finding room and, and realizing that he was good. Like, I think the, the better hypothetical may be, and I think yours is a good one, maybe if Ba had not lost the weight. Oh, yeah. No, that's what you, you really wish this kid could have stayed a project longer. Uh, yeah, right. He project. lost the weight. Elite teams realized that he was pretty damn good and that he was going to drop that weight at IMG as opposed to having to waste a year you know, in, in 2022, his freshman year, dropping that weight in college, and they, they came around on We talked about that on the show, actually. I think we actually brought this up as hypothetical. Like, we did. Hey, do you wish he kind of... We did. <laughs> yeah. Didn't drop the weight a little bit, because this is going to be a rough season. This was back in probably, what, July? Uh, and Grant, we talked about a lot of stuff on the show, so it's easy to go back and say, hey, we talked about this, but um, you know, when, when you're doing a, a team-specific show, you probably should talk about a lot of stuff. I, I, I feel like the relationship with Woodson will keep Hunter at this point. Um, but I'm not, I'm not a dummy, right? Taking more visits to an, to a, another school is not an encouraging sign, but look, the kid's also hurt right now. He's not playing in games. I'm sure he wants to get out and see some big time games at this point. It's like, okay, you're in a battle. I think George is clearly going to try to, to, you know, put the pressure on him. He is tight with a bunch of other recruits in your class. He's still actively recruiting for you. I think it's kind of silly that he has to put out these graphics all the time. Like, I'm still committed. Like, 
I mean, that's probably just because fans on Twitter just never leave the kid alone. That's not a good thing, by the way. And, and obviously, I'm not saying people don't leave him alone. You know, no ish, Sherlock. That's not what I'm suggesting. But if a kid needs to put out a, a graphic every 10 days or whatever, it's not ultimately every one of those graphics you see, I would be maybe slightly more concerned. I'll put it that way. Um, it seeps in. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I do feel mildly more comfortable today about that than I did over the weekend. I, I did not receive the reports from Georgia people that I put a whole lot of stock in that I thought I might today. Um, I, I mentioned this in passing to some friends of mine, but I had a Georgia guy call me first thing in the morning, and I thought, oh, geez, you know, uh, this is great. Uh, and all he wanted to do was to try to dunk on me about Bob decommitting. I was like, is this, is this really? Okay. I'm, I'm, it's the best news I've heard all day, man, is that this is the first, you know, 60 to 90 seconds of this conversation. Uh, hell, I'd written that off four weeks ago. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. You know, I, I do think it's a good thing every time you see a commit, a cornerback commit to Alabama, or maybe if there's any movement in Georgia's class, stuff like that would be a nice thing. Obviously, programs are going to find room for Travis Hunter. I'm not suggesting that, but, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy that, uh, that this kid, I did uh, the X's and O's uh, video podcast last night. Great content. Y'all should take a look at it if you aren't otherwise familiar with it. And uh, at the end of the podcast, I kind of threw out there, is there any chance, is there any path that if Florida State doesn't sign Travis Hunter, they can still sign a respectable recruiting class? Most people on there said no, not, not a chance. And it, it's wild that you've gotten that kind of interwoven with one kid. Um but how could you not? I mean, the kid's the number one recruit in the class. You have this series of events that lets you kind of get a commitment from him when you're really not expecting it. I mean, we've mentioned before that was more or less kind of a general tour that he took, and he was like, yeah, all right, this, this looks good to me. I'm going to commit. Uh, not, not necessarily something that they saw on the radar, but it, it just certainly feels like this kid's going to play a large role in, in maybe the trajectory of the program for the next two or three years and what decision he makes. For sure. Um I do think what we said last week still stands. You have won two games in a row. Then you're on a bye week. You are almost certainly going to win the game this weekend. You were a much bigger favorite this weekend than you were against Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State, even though they're not that great this year, is still a better team than UMass. Like UMass would be a dog uh, to Jacksonville State, much like how UConn uh, this weekend was a dog to Yale. Right? Uh there is that weird overlap where like the worst five to seven teams in the FBS are like big time dogs to the best teams in the FCS. Um, so anyway, uh, we'll, we'll talk more UMass, but you're going to basically go a whole month without a loss, you know, a calendar month. or well, excuse me, not a calendar month, like a, 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 a 30 day period without losing a game. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're basically home free uh, by that point, but you only have like five weeks you have to survive after Halloween. And I'm not going to say that those games don't matter in November. I think they do matter. But at that point, if you've been committed to FSU for that damn long, I think the odds are that you're going to stay committed in the vast majority of cases. They need to find a way to get Travion Williams back on campus. They need Alabama to keep taking and taking and taking defensive backs. And you know, like, like we said, right? Why do you hire Randy Shannon? I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. I know I got some heat for saying that the the, the one reason you did it was for a little, but uh, I might look really smart with that <laughs> come come December, right? 
Because I think the, the phrasing, and I got some blowback from this, was he's a $40,000 Earl Little lottery ticket, right? They're paying him forty k to be an analyst. He's obviously very tight with the Little family. You know, tr- tr- trusted friend there. If Bama fills up and for some reason doesn't have room, and I don't think they, that they're going to fill up and won't have room, but if they did, and you're able to get Earl Little in this class, and you're able to keep Travis Hunter and Sam McCall, it's pretty nice, man. Because they, they, they feel like they got a hit last year in Brown. They feel like they got a hit in Knowles as far as guys who could play at that ACC level. Uh, and obviously, one of the issues on this roster is preventing explosive plays through the air. Adding more talent to that defensive back room could be a big deal. You know, we'll see if they're able to actually do it. Like, that's, the t- <laughs> that's kind of the tough part. Uh, but that they're even in this, I think, speaks to the depth of the relationships, right? That, that they've managed to establish. Who else? Uh, oh, they need to get Trayvon Williams back on campus. That that's the other one. It's like now with with Edo getting fired, uh, you know, we'll see how Mississippi State and Ole Miss look. But didn't they go out and meet with him a couple days ago? Uh, so hopefully you've got a pretty good temperature as to where that is, where you sit. Any any feel for you as far as Nigel Lee Kelly, Jones Jr., uh, some of the some of the defensive prospects, or at least some of the defensive line prospects that they're looking at. I, I don't think Kelly's going to happen at this point. Uh, I think they're still very much in it with Jones Jr. due to the, to the family connections and the fact they've been on that relationship for a long, long time. I think Jones Jr. is going to be there for Miami, right? So that's another chance to make an impression. I, I, in a normal circumstance, that's not, that's not a realistic thing. But clearly, like Jones Jr. can make a lot more money in name, image, and likeness if he comes to Florida State than he can in their school. That's not an FSU program setup. That's a how many boosters who own businesses are like, oh, wait a second. I grew up with that dad's with that guy's dad on my wall. Ingram had, yeah. And you're what, 30, 37, 38? Yeah. I was talking to some friends of mine. Florida State still has a lot of work to do on the NIL front and some other things. But the the one prospect that they can absolutely be ex- in my opinion, exceptionally competitive with from day one. Is Jones Jr. So if that's an NIL decision, I would think that you're uh, in as good a shape as you can be with with him. So uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. Would be a massive, massive add, uh, and obviously a, quite the you know statement for a program that struggled as much as Florida State has for the past couple of, past couple of years here. And, and I'm not saying it's it's purely an NIL decision, uh, but you do have a couple things working in your favor, right? Distance in state really good recent track record of developing guys at that position. I mean, two, what, a fourth and a fifth rounder last year, a guy who I think is uh, very likely to be a top 100 pick, and maybe if he tests really well, is going to be even better in Jermaine Johnson, a position coach who I would say is one of the better recruiters on this staff in John Papuchas. It's not like Chris Thompson's recruiting a kid, right? I mean, like you have a, you have a guy who, who really vibes with these kids recruiting him, who actually happens to be his position coach. Um, you know, I think all that, that kind of plays into it. Are we going to sponsor someone? Uh, we do not make enough to sponsor Marvin Jones Jr. Like, that's <laughs> not... <laughs> uh, we're, no. we're more in that, like... We would be a rounding error in the Jones Jr. Uh, recruitment. But, uh, you know, that'd be cool. Halloween trip to Tallahassee could help, says Corey Meyer. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. That I, I, I remember Halloween at Tallahassee uh, quite fondly. That was uh, it's a good time. A lot of creative costumes. 
yeah, this year uh, I'm very excited to be. Uh, we're we're going to put some. So my son likes Halloween lights, which is not a thing. Like for me, I don't decorate the house for, like in Halloween lights. I think Maggie probably wants to start doing it, but I'm just, I don't know. Like I'm cool with Christmas lights, obviously. You know, uh, I've been definitely down with putting up a lot of Christmas lights if, uh, if the kid wants it. It's not related to the Halloween lights. And uh, now Maggie thinks we should put Halloween lights on the golf cart. On the golf cart. Okay. Um, for, for, for trick-or-treating purposes. I'm like, why, why can't he walk? She's like, well, he's two. So he's not going to walk. Or, I'm like, that's fair. But not into putting Halloween lights on the golf cart. Oh, man. Anything that we missed? Anything that we uh, need to touch back on? Obviously, we'll be back for what is undoubtedly the most comprehensive uh, UMass uh, preview that you'll find out there. Uh, later in the week but uh at this point i think we've kind of gone through what we had on our sheet otherwise not really okay so this season has gone poorly we we, we can agree on that i just want to throw something out there could you have painted me a picture where fsu is two and four and their class is not falling apart i mean it's almost it, like what is happening to all these other schools right now you know florida with these bad luck losses Miami falling apart. LSU already firing its coach. I mean, I guess you could say Auburn, right? Is oh, that's one. I don't think they're out of it with Tay Woody. I think that's a fight they can actually stay in. I'm not sure they're going to win it, but uh, I, I think that's that's one that they actually can win. Um, I think Atkins has a good relationship there. I, I I'm not I'm not flipping my crystal ball on him just yet. Like with Ba, I I put it in a couple weeks ago. With Woody, I'm, I'm not doing it quite yet. I, I got a little bit different vibes there. But just think about it. Like, almost every program they need to be down that could reasonably be down is down. Yeah, no, I, I don't see any other way that you could be two and four. I mean, I don't know. I guess you could argue if you'd won the Jacksonville State and maybe lost a, a heartbreaker to Syracuse and then beat you in seniors. I, I don't know. I mean, four losses in the first six games is, is going to be a tough pill to swallow regardless of how you try to chop it up and present it. Uh, but yeah, you, you've been really fortunate. You have an opportunity here to uh, show some continued improvement. And uh, yeah, you show well over the next three weeks or so. I think you can put an awful lot of glue on a recruiting class that looks like, uh, you know, it might need it. I'm not trying to say that this thing's about to splinter or whatever else, but when you got your, you know, your biggest kid touching base with Georgia three times in 10 days or something like that, then yeah, you need to be alarmed. You need to realize you're in a dogfight, pardon the pun. And, uh, you know, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea for Mike Norvell to land at one of his games in a helicopter or something like that. And just realize that you got to go tit for tat and try to be as competitive as possible in this, and you know, play all the silly games that is recruiting a kid and seeing it through to the end. You know, any, uh, um, any FSU fans own helicopters? Yes, I do actually. <laughs> we, in fact, uh, it wouldn't be a conver- I wouldn't have to facilitate that conversation. Let me put it that way. Uh, I, I would not be the the introducing agent there. But uh, yeah, so something to keep an eye out for. Uh, uh, I think that's pretty much it, guys. Give us those five star reviews if you can on Apple Podcast. Uh, obviously, we uh, we put the chat down. If you saw this on subscriber only mode, so. If you're chatting with us, we know you guys have hit that subscribe button on YouTube. It's pretty cool. Also, make sure to hit that little bell. That gives you that notification. Uh, when we go live, we don't always announce it because Ingram and I's schedules don't always match up. And sometimes we, we cut the pod like way late at night. 
but if we go live, we'll, we'll try at times. And you want to get that notification on your phone when we do go live. So make sure you hit that little bell after you hit subscribe. Give us that thumbs up. Give it those five stars on Apple Podcasts. And you know, most consistently, just continue telling your friends about the number one FSU podcast out there. We really, really, really appreciate that. And we'll see y'all uh, probably Thursday, I guess, for the UMass pod. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.